Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. The sentence explores the devastating consequences of mass incarceration and mandatory minimum drug sentencing through the story of Cindy Shank, a mother of three children serving a 15-year sentence in federal prison for a tangential involvement in a Michigan drug ring years before. A lyrical and intimate story documents 10 years of Cindy's brother, and that would be our guest today, filmmaker Rudy Valdez, as he chronicles Cindy's struggles to be present in her children's lives from behind bars and her children's experiences growing up without their mother at home while her husband, parents, and siblings fight for her release. That is the story behind this terrific documentary film that it will be screening on HBO uh, coming up on October 15th, and that is The Sentence, and we're Honored to have with us today the filmmaker, director, Rudy Valdez. Rudy, welcome to Film School. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your work in this film and also, as we see in the film, for your efforts in, uh, on behalf of your sister and your entire family. I would normally ask the director at this point, how did you get into this project? But uh, I know how. I understand how. But for <laughs> yeah. those for those on, who will have not seen the film... Yet, um, tell me sort of just the sort of broad. We we sort of outlined the, the broad outlines of the story, but uh, what was it that turned you into filmmaker slash activist in in making this film? Yeah, so um, that's a great question. I, I became a, a filmmaker because of this film. You know, I, I wasn't a filmmaker prior to this, and you know, when when my sister was sent away for the first time, not for fifteen years, for the first time that I found a fence, you know, I knew that I had to do something. Um, I didn't know what it was going to be, but uh, I, I was sort of at a, at a loss of, of how I was going to speak up and give her a voice. And, you know, I don't know why, but the, the day after she was sent away, I was at her house uh, with her daughters and, and her husband at the time and a couple of the family members. And I just, I started filming the girl, you know, just, you know, I, 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 I don't know why initially, eventually I told myself, you know, I, I'm going to continue to film these girls because... I want Cindy to be able to watch them grow up someday. And, that, and that's sort of how it started in the sense of why I was getting footage of them. Um, but it certainly wasn't a documentary at that point. It, it became a documentary uh, during one of the shoots I was doing with the girls. Cindy's oldest daughter was getting ready for a dance recital. And I, w- I had flown back. I was living in New York City at the time, and I flew back to, to film this dance recital. And I was filming her getting ready. And my sister calls, you know, to talk to her daughter and you know, it was completely unplanned uh, and completely organically, but I just kept rolling on the call. And, and it's the first scene in the film. My sister says to her daughter, you know what mommy's going to do when you go to dance? I'm going to lay down in my bed. I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to think about you. You know, and, and that was the moment that I became a filmmaker. That was the moment that this became a film, you know, because I I, I learned or I, I had this epiphany that, you know, I had an opportunity to tell a story that you don't normally get to hear when you when you hear about the criminal justice system and the sentencing laws and mandatory minimum sentencing and this war on drugs. You you, you hear these you see these headlines of of the people who've been sent away and you hear about the the amount of of drugs that were you know apprehended and the drugs and the money, but you never hear about the 
the children left behind and the families left behind and the communities left behind. And, and I knew that I had an opportunity to tell a very intimate story that, that could represent this and, and let people see the full scope of what these sentences and the ramifications of them. So that, that was what triggered me into making this film and ultimately to becoming a filmmaker. Wow, what a, in some ways, uh, what you're describing is a great way for people to understand just what makes a filmmaker a filmmaker. It's telling a story, uh, and it's, but it's also the emotional involvement that you had, obviously, that you had. This is your sister, she's in prison. So there's an awful lot of other emotions and impulses i would assume going on at that time i'm sure on one hand very excited to to be able to say to yourself i'm going to make this into a film at the same time along with it comes the commitment and all of the sort of struggle that you must have been going through at the time that uh, that phone call came in yeah yeah um you broke up a little bit during the middle of it. Is there, oh. <laughs> could you repeat? Oh, of course, that? of course. I'm saying, yeah. I was saying, you, you've given us a great insight into how someone makes a decision like you did to become a filmmaker, taking something in your life and seeing it in through the sort of prism of of film and storytelling. But at the same time, you're also telling a story about something that's fraught with emotions, family, and all kinds of other issues going on so that's a kind of a confluence of these different impulses and emotions that were taking place at that moment in your life and i just wanted to you know sort of thank you for sharing that because i think that is a great insight into why people do what they do yeah i I think you're spot on on that you know and i think you know again like it goes back to that old thing of like I, i didn't i didn't know what especially at the beginning and if you see the film you see me grow as a filmmaker but um, you know, my lack of knowledge on the technical side of, of filmmaking, I think, speaks to that, to that old adage of content is king. Yeah. You know, even though I didn't really know what I was doing technically on the front end, uh, the footage that I was gathering and then the people in front of it and the story that, that that I was chasing, it was there. You know, the content was there, and I just had to catch up with it. I had to, I had to figure out how to become good enough to do justice to this story yeah. so yeah it was it was this like perfect storm of all of these things converging yeah and also obviously the storytelling as you should it's, it's about the storytelling obviously uh and i'll just throw in this uh what i mentioned at the beginning this film you did it right because first of all the sundance Film Festival this last year 2018 awarded the audience award to the film and and also HBO picked it up. So, I mean, what you didn't know technically, you knew intuitively as a as a storyteller, and as and as somebody who was so empathetic. And we it comes across so amazingly in this film. There's so much love in this film. There's so much agony and and back and forth over what's going to happen in the lives of these three young women, as well as just your entire family. And the way it plays out, it's just a, it's very heart-wrenching. And just one last thing, with almost without exception, great documentary films tell you the macro and the micro at the same time. And that's exactly what you did here. Well, I have to tell you, it means so much. That entire statement you just made means so much to me because that, you know, that was the spine of what I was trying to do, um, you know, entirely. You know, my, my sister's case, you know, when you see the film, you know, it, it outrages you, it makes you sad, it, it takes you on this journey. And then ultimately, as you're saying, you know, it, it's it's a microcosm of this larger 
systematic problem. She is but one of thousands and thousands of people going through this. And, and that was my ultimate goal was to, to not be, you know, I, I didn't have the bandwidth to tell the larger story, the larger systematic story. So I, I decided to tell this small intimate story that is emblematic of this larger thing. And, I'm, and it makes me so happy that, you know, people are, it's resonating with people and it's connecting with people and it's, you know, it's doing what I hoped it would do. There's so much in this film. Uh, let me uh, let me just sort of do. Let's do a quick overview of the issue of mandatory sentencing, because it was the rage as you as it's described in the film in the late '80s, but particularly in the '90s. And I can speak here for California in 1993-94. We passed one of the most draconian three strikes law, and how that bears on this story is that there, that was an effectively a mandatory sentencing. So you want to describe sort of in your own words what that means and certainly what it meant, obviously, in the course of this story, but what does that mean for most people? Yeah, so mandatory sentences are, you know, these sentences imposed by, you know, these guidelines that are put forward. And, you know, what's what's interesting about my sister's case is even if you're, in many other cases, even if you're tried and found guilty under conspiracy, you know, meaning you weren't necessarily the drug dealer or the person buying or selling the drugs, but you were knowledgeable about them, you still are, you know, under these sentencing guidelines, and you're just as as um, culpable. So, you know, my sister was sentenced under these under conspiracy and received, you know, originally because of the weight that was um, estimated to be pushed throughout this drug ring that her ex boyfriend was um, a part of. She, the prosecution, asked that she receive eighty nine years. That was what they thought was a fair sentence for her. Um, ultimately, the guidelines suggested that the mandatory minimum was 15 years, and that's what the judge gave her. So, you know, even the you know, 89 years would have been terrible. 15 years was still terrible, and you know, it, it, it's just it's it's a shame that we're taking these um, cases and we're lumping them all together. We're not looking at the individual cases and looking at the individual people or or who we're sentencing but we're just imposing these guidelines and taking the the um sentence out of the hands of the judges who you know should be the ones imposing sentences you know cindy's judge said i could go no lower than 15 years my hands are tied right you know and, and it's just unfortunate Right. And and this led and just real quick, I won't spend a lot of time discussing this part of the story, but this led to a to a, a situation where until very recently and may still be the case that the United States incarcerates as as a percentage of population, the highest percentage of incarcerated people in the world. And by a matter of fewer numbers also incorporates more people than I think every country with possible exception of China. But I'm not even sure if that's correct. But we we the let's just say the the uh, judicial system went completely nuts with this whole idea, and it goes back to a time when politicians knew they would always get reelected by being quote unquote tough on crime, and it became kind of a sickness in our political system. And um, and I, I and fortunately, it feels like we have pulled back from all of that, and we're starting. We've we've become more reform minded now. Yeah, I hope so. And, and yeah, and you're you're completely right on the on the tough on crime rhetoric. You know, every time an election um, cycle comes around, you know, especially for local elections, you know, you, you, you people say you're either tough on crime or or soft on crime. And to right. me, like those those aren't even 
um, words I, I think that should be used. I think you're you're either smart on crime or you're dumb on crime. Right. And, and you know, it, right. it's just it's it's a fact. And, and you know, when you look at the you know, like most problems in our country, you can trace back the origin of it and and follow the money. Right. You know what I mean? I think our incarceration is a big business in our country. And you know, I think if there's a takeaway to this this larger issue of of mandatory minimums and and this uh, war on drugs and, and this mass incarceration problem, it's I hope what people take away from this is like this is an example of a family that has been affected by this, and um, we can no longer be okay with that with with the fact that people are making millions and billions of dollars on the backs of, of disenfranchised, you know, mostly brown and black people in this country. You know, it's it's. Right. Modern day slavery. Our country has a history of taking advantage, you know, since its inception. You know, making so much money and, and building on the backs of, of, of poor people, and it's just been this shifting industry. And right now, the, the big money maker are prison beds. Right. You know, and, and we as a, as a society cannot be okay with that anymore. Right. And now we're seeing that with the people at the border who are now ending up in these private prisons. Any time you introduce the profit motive into a, what is essentially a social and, and political issue, you're going to end up with a bad result. I I, just, exactly. I truly believe that. I want to want to shift gears here. Thank you for for uh, for your uh, insight and all that. I I want to talk a little bit about what we also see in the film is because for most of the film, Cindy is a disembodied voice we're hearing talking to her beautiful daughters and to her husband Adam and to the family and to the to your father as well and to see Autumn Ava and Anna as we watch them grow up in this film uh, it is heartbreaking and at the same time what a beautiful family uh, you have and um, and very caring and loving and dedicated to one another it comes across just so wonderfully in the film I hope they're all doing well. I particularly, I mean, all of them are wonderful children. But Autumn seemed, in in the film, we see her sort of bearing the brunt of so much of what was going on with her mother. Um, all of them were terrific kids, but um, I hope they're all doing well. Thank you so much. Yeah, and you know, right now they are. You know, they're 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 wonderful, bright children. You know, I do think, and I and I say this often, we don't really know how this. Yeah. going to affect them. You know, we're not going to know for five or ten years right. the ramifications of this. I think, you know, as they enter adulthood um, and enter, you know, systems themselves, like the educational system or the healthcare system or all of these other systems, you know, they, you know, it, it, it remains to be seen how this is going to affect them in the long term. But, you know, we're going to continue to support them and love them and be there for them. But, yeah. you know, this is, you know, 15 years on paper, but it's a life sentence. You know, it's changing everybody's right. life. Right. Um, so, yeah. Well, and you're alluding to what I was I was going to say. It is as as said in the film. It's this ripple effect. This isn't just a sentence for Cindy. This is a ripple effect, and the effect it has on the community. Adam mentions this. Her, her husband, ex husband, um, um, mentions this, and I, and how it affects just so many different people in so many tragic ways. And one of the things that I'm just going to say that I, just watching the film, I feel for Adam. I felt bad. And I knew he was going to say that at the end of the, near the end of the film when you're, when you're interviewing him at, while he's working on his car, when he says, yeah. I, I wish I, I wish I had done more. And I, yeah. again, I feel for him. I, I'm sure everyone in the family on some level feels like they wish they could have done more, but they did what they could do. And I, I 
and congratulate. I mean, you know what I'm saying here, right? This yeah, th- this yeah. continues. That's the sort of corrosive effect that something like this has on everyone. Is throughout it, they always feel like I could have done more, and they, they yeah. beat themselves up, right? Yeah, and 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 I think you know, especially with with Adam, um, you know the the. I, I always try to say this, and I appreciate you bringing him up, but I, I, I try to say this when he comes up, and sometimes even when he doesn't, but, you know, I, I tried my best to really honor him in the film because he really is, you know, a stand-up, amazing man. You know, and, and, and I'll be the first to admit it, like, I would not have been able to fight for Cindy or make this film if it weren't for him. Yeah. You know, if I if I'd have thought for one second that those girls weren't being provided for and weren't being loved, mm-hmm. all of my energy would have gone in that direction. But I knew that that they were safe, they were well taken care of, and that and that they had a wonderful father. So that that freed me to be able to 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 have this other fight. Adam, you know, Adam is my brother. He will always be my brother. Well, He's well, well, to hear them, hear your entire family embrace them the way they do in the film, it's just beautiful and. Um, well, I thank you so much. I mean, uh, for someone uh, who began filmmaking and the way you did and how heartfelt and how in- emotionally involved and invested you were, it carries over into this film. And I know as you have moved forward as a filmmaker, you've taken on other projects, mostly as a director of photo- uh, cinematography in these films. Uh, it you continue to imbue them with this humanity, and uh, I truly look forward to your future work and all the best to you on the the future of the sentence here as we move closer to uh, the part of the year when we start talking about films that deserve to be celebrated and and uh, awarded. Uh, it is a it is a very moving film, and um, Rudy Valdez, you have created quite a quite a piece of uh, a film and documentary work here. So, congrats. Thank you so much. I, I really, uh, you know, genuinely appreciate um, this interview. It's, it's been um, so, you know, you're spot on with, you know, understanding the film. And, and you know, I, I just appreciate everything you've said about it. And, and this has been an amazing interview. I appreciate well, it. Well, you're very welcome. And, um, again, the film is it'll be premiering on October 15th at on HBO. And congrats. And, um We'll see you. We'll see you again soon, Rudy. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I hope I get to talk to you again. Very good. Thank you. I do too. Thank you. Take Bye. care. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.